It's time now for the complete story, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here's the BRN father and son team, Dick and Rich Bot, with today's complete story. Yeah, well, you know, Rich, uh, the most important issues, I guess, you know, uh, as many as there are, my word, look what's happening now with the debt ceiling and the government's running out of money. Um, and on and on and on. But what is really the most important? And it really is life, L-I-F-E versus death. That's, that's where it. it starts. If you don't have life, none of the rest of that matters. You know, that's where it starts and that's where it ends, isn't it? And the Lord is the author of life. That's exactly right. And I tell you what, folks, uh, we haven't been on this subject for a while on the complete story, but it isn't because it isn't in our heart 24-7 every day of the week. Here is the diary. Listen to this, folks. The diary of an unborn baby. Have you ever thought about that? The baby has a diary, and here is someone to tell you about it. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Diary of an Unborn Baby. Day one fertilization. All the human chromosomes are present. A unique human life begins. Weeks 1 through 2. The DNA in the baby's 46 chromosomes of the one cell contain individual sex, eye color, brain capacity, and other physical traits. Weeks 3 through 4. The heart begins to beat with the baby's own blood, often a different blood type than the mother's. The baby is developing rapidly at this time with the formation of the umbilical cord. Weeks 5 through 6. The baby's eyes, legs, and hands begin to develop. The brain waves are detectable and can be scientifically measured. The mouth, lips present, fingers forming. The baby begins his first movements. Week 7. The eyelids and toes form. The nose is distinct. The baby is kicking and swimming. Week 8. Every organ is in place. The baby's bones, fingerprints begin to form. Weeks 9 and 10. Teeth continue to form. Fingernails develop. The baby head can turn and sometimes frown. Week 11. The baby can grasp objects placed in the hand. The kidneys begin to function and the baby can mimic the movements of breathing. Week 12. The baby has reached the peak frequency of movement and rarely pauses for more than five minutes. Week 14. The baby's heart is pumping several quarts of blood through the body every day. The smallest details are now taking shape. Week 17. The baby can have dream sleep. Week 20. The baby can hear the mother's voice and feel soothed. During the past nine months, one cell has grown into more than 100 million cells. With no new parts to form, the baby is ready to be born. Respect life. Uh, you know, as I was pondering this program today, Rich, I was thinking the media, absolutely, now listen to me, folks, the media, the, um, that part of society that you depend on to cover the facts, cover the news, be unbiased, on and on and on, so truth can, um, can be brought to the people. They never, they never tell that, do they? They never mention that. And they use phrases like the woman's choice, and they try and twist it and turn it and everything. So the people, the people get indoctrinated. I tell you what, folks, listening to this broadcast, uh, train up your child, 
start out with your child and train up your child not only to believe but also to know why they believe. Listen to what Steve Green says about that. Summer and Josiah are my children. And of all the jobs I have, the most important one is to teach them what my father taught me, to trust and obey the Lord. And if you learn to follow Jesus now, while you're still young, you'll never lose your way, even when you're older. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. Train up a child in the way he should go. is when does that process stop? I don't think it ever stops. When a person believes and when they know, they never stop talking about the truth, do they, Rich? That's right, and that's found in the Bible, train up a child in the way he should go. Yeah. All right, now here, let's talk about our listener comment. The listener, and there were others also, that said, uh, would you please uh, repeat the sermon of Dr. Lawrence White, Pastor Lawrence White, reviews it many times. As a matter of fact, um, I made arrangements when I first heard him bring this message so that he could repeat it, flew to Kansas City, and we made arrangements for him to bring this message at a seminary so they would have an audience uh, to just preach it to. Then we had the engineers and the sound people, so we got good audio. But Lawrence White, the sin of silence. He's a pastor of Our Savior's Lutheran Church in Houston, Texas. And uh, this listener uh, and the others also, they said, would you please, please repeat that. Now, this is Lawrence White telling about training up his sons, and they were older but he wanted them to get the message. He wanted them to know. Don't look back at history and just slough it off. Understand that today is also a repeat of history if you don't pay attention and believe what you believe by conviction and knowledge. Listen to this. I've been traveling across the length and breadth of this great land over the last few years talking primarily to pastors' groups, seeking to awaken and arouse God's spokesmen among us to be what God has called them to be, to preach his word without apology, without hesitation, without reluctance. And so I was very pleased to have the opportunity to take my two sons, Adam, who's 23, and Aaron, who's 20, with me on a trip to Germany. As a Lutheran Christian, that's where 
my historic and theological roots are, and I wanted the boys to see where they came from and to get some context, I guess you could call it, a setting in which to evaluate and assess what's happening in our country and in their lives. And so we flew out of Houston on Christmas Day. We landed in Berlin. And one afternoon we rented a van and we drove out into the countryside about 35 kilometers or so northeast of Berlin to a little farming community called Oranienberg. Not much there, a couple of taverns, a couple of gas stations, a few houses. That's about it. Nobody would ever have heard of that little town were it not for the fact that Heinrich Himmler chose Oranienberg as the site of one of his prototype concentration camps. A horrible place called Sachsenhausen. That means the home of the Saxons. I took the boys there that day because I wanted them to see what had happened to this great Christian nation, this homeland of the Reformation, almost overnight. And the boys grew quiet as we walked across the vast expanse where the barracks once stood that held hundreds of thousands of prisoners. During the 12 years of the Hitlerreich, we saw the bales of human hair and the piles of children's shoes. We went to the medical laboratories where gruesome experiments were conducted on living human beings without anesthetic because they were not viewed as human because of their race or their language. And finally, we walked to the back where far in the corner the crematorium once stood. The oven where they burned the bodies of the dead. And out in front of it was a grotesque wrought iron statue of two emaciated inmates hauling the dead body of one of their cohorts toward the gaping doors of the oven. The building itself had actually collapsed. They'd buried so many people underneath it that the foundations had been undermined. But the metal supports that once held those ovens were still there. And as we came up there, three days after Christmas, in front of the doorway to that crematorium, there was a withered Christmas wreath with a white ribbon on it. And the slogan on that ribbon said, from the Christians of Germany, we kneel before God in bitter regret and humble repentance, and we ask his forgiveness for the Jews and all the others who died in this place. And as we turn to walk away, out across the compound once again, my 20-year-old Aaron put his arm around me in the condescending way that sons have with their fathers. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, you need to keep giving those speeches that you've been giving. And I felt good. Because for the first time, my boys understood within the depths of their hearts what's happening in America today. But there in Sachsenhausen, for the very first time, they saw for themselves how much is at stake in our America and how desperately important these issues are and how much we stand to lose if we do not awaken and rouse ourselves quickly. That the people of God in Christ cannot disengage from the culture in which they live. We cannot withdraw to the comfortable security of our beautiful sanctuaries and sit in our padded pews while the world all around us goes to hell. For to do so is a betrayal of the Lord whose name we bear. And it is a denial of the power and the efficacy of his word, the word that he has given us to proclaim. In Germany, as here in the United States, one of the most clever tools in the enemy's arsenal 
used to silence and intimidate Christians, to drive them out of the public square, was the lie of the separation of church and state. There was a meeting held in the German capital city of Berlin in 1934. Hitler had been chancellor for just over a year at that point. He was taking the nation through a process which in German was called Gleichschaltung, that means coordination. Everything was being realigned in terms of national socialist philosophy, and that included the churches. And protests had begun to rise from the people of God about this interference in the church and its life. And so Hitler called together the most important preachers in the land, and he gathered them there at the Reichschancellery to reassure them and to intimidate them, if he could, to silence their criticism so that he could go on with his plans for the country. And Hitler moved through the crowd that day, patting the preachers on the back, making them feel important, smiling and reassuring. He told them their state subsidies would continue, their tax exemptions were secure, that the church had nothing to fear from a Nazi government. And finally, one brash young preacher who was there, Martin Niemöller was his name, had had enough. Today we'd call him politically incorrect. He was going to tell the truth, even if that truth was not popular. And he pushed his way to the front of the room until he stood eye to eye with the German dictator. And he said, Herr Hitler, our concern is not for the church. Jesus Christ will take care of his church. Our concern is for the soul of our nation. It was immediately evident that the brash young preacher spoke only for himself as a chagrin silence fell over that room and his colleagues hustled him away from the front. Hitler with a natural politician's instinct saw that reaction and he understood exactly what it meant and he smiled as he said to himself almost reflectively, the soul of Germany, you can leave that to me. And they did. They kept their religion and their politics strictly separate from one another. And as the innocent were slaughtered and the nation was led down the path to destruction, they looked the other way and they minded their own business and their country was destroyed. I would submit to you today that we in America find ourselves in a frighteningly similar predicament. Once again, the innocent are being slaughtered in a 26-year holocaust that makes Hitler look like a humanitarian by comparison. Once again, the nation is being led down the path to destruction. And once again, by and large, God's people are looking the other way. I don't have to tell anyone in this room tonight how far down that path to destruction we've already traveled. You see the evidence in families that are fractured and marriages that are broken, in young people that lose their way and often their lives in a maze of alcohol and drugs in a culture that can no longer distinguish between lust and love, that is willing to tolerate the vilest perversion as alternate acceptable lifestyle while pestilence stalks the land, in public schools that have become facilitators for fornication and procurers for the abortionist knife, in a nation that has lost the moral will to distinguish between that which is right and that which is wrong, we know all too well how far down that road to destruction we have already gone. And that's because in large part, every time a Christian, particularly a Christian pastor, raises his voice 
On a matter of public policy, the immediate hue and cry from the media, from the political and educational elite and establishment is, wait a minute, we have the separation of church and state in this country. You Christians, you keep your morality to yourselves. As history repeats itself, they smile reassuringly as they tell us the soul of America. You can leave that to us. And we have. Brothers and sisters, the time has come and is long since past when we stopped listening to and being immobilized by these lies from the father of lies. This is the genius of America. The recognition that a country like ours, a country where the people rule, must be a country where morality prevails. But that's not the kind of country that we have seen developing all around us every day. That's not the kind of country we read about when we pick up the newspapers every morning. America has forgotten who she is. And if she does not remember soon, it will be too late. In the 1830s, a French nobleman named Alexis de Tocqueville came from Europe to this new land to see what it was that gave America its vitality and its strength. And he toured across this country. He saw all that there was to see. And when it was done, he summed it up in these impassioned words. He said, I sought the key to the greatness and the genius of America in her harbors in her fertile fields, in her boundless forests, in her rich mines, in her vast world commerce, in her public school system and institutions of learning. I sought for it in her democratic Congress and in her matchless constitution, but it was not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness that I understood the secret of her genius and her power. America is great, de Tocqueville said. Because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, then she will also cease to be great. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is an offense to any people. There is that indissoluble connection between greatness and goodness upon which this country was built. We have severed that connection over the last few decades. We have sown the wind of immorality and we are reaping the whirlwind of destruction and death. And we, God's people in Christ, have been placed here by the Lord for such a time as this. America will not turn from the path of destruction until the Christians of this land stop blending in and going along. We have become a chameleon church we can blend in anywhere. We can go along with anything, no matter how perverse it may be. Just so long as no one figures out that we are sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ. For then we might have to endure the scorn and the ridicule of the world. We must stop compromising and yielding. We must be sure that it is the Lord Jesus for whom we stand. But of this one thing, we can be absolutely certain the Lord God Almighty hates the murder of innocent unborn children. We can win the next election or the next 10 elections. 
We can balance the budget. We can reduce the deficit. We can bring down taxes and build the mightiest military machine on the face of the earth. But if we do not stop abortion, then God will destroy and God should destroy America. Abortion is an unholy altar that we have raised up to pagan gods of our own lust and greed. And the blood of innocent unborn children cries out to God for justice from the ground of America. And the day is coming soon when God will heed that cry. And when he does, woe to us. On that great day of reckoning, it will not be enough to say, Lord, we were in church every Sunday. We built great churches in your name. We raised millions of dollars in your name. On that great day of reckoning to those who stood silent while the killing went on, the Lord will say, depart from me, you cursed ones, for I do not know you. But in the amazing grace, the incredible mercy and long-suffering of our wonderful God, that day has not yet come. America may have turned her back on God, but God, for some reason, has not yet turned his back on America. So let us work while it is still day, before the night comes, when no man can work. Let us rouse the Christians of this city and of this land to be what God has called and enabled them to be. The stinging salt that stops the decay of death. The shining light that dispels the darkness of doubt and despair. The gleaming city set high upon a hill that stands as a beacon light of life and hope to this nation and to every nation. Let us learn from the mistakes of the past. Let us stand upon the word of God. Let us save this country that we claim to love as we become involved in the process in this crucial moment that God has given us. God is placing before us a challenge before it is too late, and I pray that we will find within the depths of our hearts and souls the courage and the faith to rise to that challenge and make the most of that opportunity. It is within our power because God has placed it there. It is within our grasp to change this America before it is too late, to snatch our country back from the brink of destruction. All the signs of the deadly decay all around us are unmistakably clear our nation's leaders wallow in decadence and deceit while the polls tell us that the people don't care and apathy and indifference prevails we must care as the people of God in Christ we must be the salt and the light and the shining city as Christians gathered here today let us resolve not to repeat the mistakes of the past let us resolve not to allow evil men to triumph simply because good men have done nothing. Let us stand together as the people of God, bold in the confidence of the Spirit, and declare before our nation the soul of America. You can leave that to us. Thank you. Oh, Rich. Oh, Rich. Uh, I'm just so thankful for our listeners who, uh, who called the listener comment line and uh, and made that request to repeat that. We needed to hear that again. You know, Rich, uh, uh, we do have some, we do have some really reliable political leaders. They all happen to be Republicans. 
I'm not a Republican because that's where I belong. It just happens that the Republicans that are keeping their word and take a stand on principle and things that are important happen to be Republicans. Think it over, folks. Check out your city. Check out your state. Check out where you are voting or something, or maybe not voting. Now, here is Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma. Man, they have elected a wonderful senator there. Listen to what he has to say. We lose the core values as a country in those critical aspects because one family's not passing it on to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. They're expecting government or expecting somebody else to be able to carry on those values. They don't. Uh, we know from a biblical perspective, you pass that on from one generation to the next. The mom and dad pass it down to their children and their grandchildren. And so when, when we see a failure of that in some families to be able to pass down that value, it gets filled in with the vacuum of the culture. Uh, so being salt and light begins at home. And uh, so for uh, two things I would say on that. One is make sure our families are actually passing on these values. Do the first thing. Uh, right. I know we're panicked about other people's families and what's happening in other places and other states. Make sure we're taking care of our own. And the second thing is make sure our hope is based on something that is eternal. Our hope is found in Christ and what he is doing. If our hope is in a government or in a place or in a person or an elected official or in what my school is going to do, your hope's in the wrong spot. Uh, we, we take care of our first responsibility uh, to our family, uh, to our own personal walk with God, and then engage in our, in our culture in a way that makes the greatest difference. And then could we also say, if the pastors will pass it on to their congregation and speak on it, people need to be, when they go to church, they're congregating so they can learn, so they can figure things out. And speak and, up. Don't be guilty of the sin of silence. Now, here is Senator Langford with another word about a baby. I do have a very profound belief that in the value of every single person. Uh, and I can't seem to shake uh, some of my friends on the Democratic side that believe some children are valuable and some children are not. I, I just I can't get past that yeah. uh, to say I really do believe every child is a gift from God. And I'm, I don't have the right to be able to declare that one's valuable, that one is medical waste, and to just set that aside. Uh, all right, Richard, we have time for one one comment, one listener comment. Hi, this is Carmen Alexander from Kansas City, Missouri. I just wanted to let you guys know that Bot Radio has changed my life tremendously. I love my worship music, don't get me wrong, but it's good to hear sermons on your way to and from places. So I just want to thank you guys for getting the message out for God because this is what we're supposed to do. All right. Oh, God bless you. 1-800-345-2621. That's the listener comment line. We'd love to hear from you folks. 1-800-345-2621. And that kind of wraps it up. This is Dick Bott with this chapter of The Complete Story with my son, Rich, as a public service. See you later. See you later.